Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Forgive me for running off to find the one thing I have to do. Welcome to episode 139 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Wong from washedupemo.com. Today, we welcome David Moore, singer, songwriter from the band Split Lip slash Chamberlain. The band is celebrating 20 years since the release of The Moon My Saddle with a few select shows and it was time to get David on. This podcast episode is a lot about redemption and letting things go as times pass. One of those things is an amazing quote on the Moon My Saddle when it first came out in Alternative Press. It says, and I quote, David Moore on this record makes Huey Lewis sound like the king of the Delta Blues. Wow. Then, magically, 10 years later, Alternative Press does a big feature and interview on the band. Some things are ahead of their time. David's father drove his motorcycle across the United States to Los Angeles, California to try and make it as an actor. It never materialized, and he came back to Indiana to raise his family. David also made that same decision after Chamberlain broke up, deciding to hang up music and stop chasing the dream and get on with his life. It wasn't entirely that simple, as you'll hear. We talk about David's approach to music, the initial response to the Moon My Saddle, the band's downfall, and what David did after that, and how he's looking at the upcoming 20-year anniversary shows from that album as an adult versus the boy that first toured those songs. David said... If this was just about nostalgia, we are self-aware enough to know that we wouldn't want to do it. Not a bad way to think about it. This is episode 139 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with David Moore. Thanks for doing this. Of course. My pleasure. I know that the name is horrible. I realize that. <laughs> uh, uh, intriguing. You're laid out 
like a landscape on the frontier of my floor. And in the next room, the girls are singing. They must be wondering where you are. Who'd have thought, girl, late last spring, we'd still be the same. Let your hands fall over my eyelids, vaguely imitating the rain. If the sky falls tonight, we'll all run outside and catch stars in the street light. So I grew up uh, for the most part in Indiana, uh, born in, in Indianapolis. Um, most of my childhood was split between here in Indiana and uh, North Carolina. So I grew up for a time in uh, Chapel Hill. By the time I was um, around, my, my parents had started to settle down a bit, but we moved a lot when uh, they moved around a lot when we were younger. Um, they were a bit nomadic, um, but it started to settle into life a little bit by the time, by the time I came around. My parents first met, they they met in college, and then they, they pursued acting careers when they were very young and first starting a family and kind of did uh, toured around and did dinner theaters and, and that sort of stuff. So living out of campers and um, oh, no much shit. more nomadic. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, like I said, I think by the time I came around, they had started to realize they had kind of ante up a bit um, and uh, sink into the the reality of, uh, you know, stability and, um, all those sorts of things that typically put dreams like that on the back burner. Uh, so although they, yeah, my dad still, still tried his hand at acting through, um, he had had, yeah, the, the first four of us. Um, and then we were living in Chapel Hill at the time. And uh, I think it was his kind of, last ditch effort to make a go of, of what he always loved doing. So he actually left us for about six months, drove a, a little 1974, 73, 74 Honda two stroke motorcycle from Chapel Hill to LA and was out there for about six months doing his best to try and uh, make it. I think he had aspirations to, to go out there and become a famous actor and then send for all of us. But, uh, that didn't happen. He came back. <laughs> That's amazing. Does he have photos from that ride? Um, not so much from the ride. We have family photos of him out there in LA, uh, up by the Hollywood sign. And he climbed up there to take some photos. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy that he even, well, it's crazy that he had the idea. It's crazy that my mom um, let let him go. You know, there were four of us, and uh, at the time, but she always just said she. The way she described it to all of us was she had a very vivid dream uh, that they had been talking about this idea, which I think she thought, you know, she's she's by far the more sort of um, left brain, rational one, and I think she thought the whole. The whole idea was maybe a little crazy, um, but apparently she had some some dream and and woke up and just knew she was supposed to tell him to go. And yeah, he went and 
he went and tried it. I think he got in a couple of commercials maybe, or auditioned for a couple of commercials. And, but ultimately, um, yeah, it didn't work out. So came back and then I think just got himself into the workforce and providing a family or providing a living for the family. Was music always around? Music was always around. Yeah. Yes. My grand, my grandfather who passed before I was born was a, uh, he, he was a Presbyterian minister in Kentucky, but he, he was also a singer and a, and a, and a poet and writer and, he had even his own radio show. He was kind of a crooner, like a, you know, Bing Crosby type, um, but would also do spirituals and, and that sort of thing. Um, so I think that, that, you know, ran through our, uh, our bloodline a bit. Um, don't know where it came from before, before him, but there wasn't, music in the sense of I didn't have none of my siblings played an instrument. Um, my mom has a really beautiful voice. My oldest, oldest sister has a really beautiful voice. Um, my dad couldn't carry it to him to save his life. Um, so I started my singing career much more closely aligned to my, my father. And then I guess learned over time how to, how to, uh, use it to the best of my ability. But, but there was always Sunday, you know, I remember Sundays being big music days, right? House cleaning days, a lot of John Denver and Cat Stevens. And, um, and then as I got older, um, a lot of Bob Dylan and those were kind of some of the big, uh, records that played a lot that my parents played a lot. Were you, were you aware, like, was it, you were hearing it and did you, did you have a feeling like I remember my dad would be playing Willie Nelson and I would, I would, I remembered that and yeah. other records I didn't, but did it, did it yeah. feel like it was, this is something important. This is something inside of me. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's probably, those are probably the artists that I remember the most. I'm sure they were playing all sorts of stuff, but Cat Stevens is one that still, you know, if I hear Cat Stevens song or his voice, which is so distinct anyway, but, um, yeah, that, I think that feeling doesn't really leave you. Right. Um, and for me, I think it, even as a young kid, it was like, well, I don't know. I had two sides of me cause I had that part of me that was really drawn to those kind of searching singer songwriters, um, that seemed to have that, you know, you can't, you can't name it or under, necessarily understand it as a kid, but you can feel that kind of yearning that, that is there, um, or that search for, you know, some, deeper meaning or, or purpose and that reaching in their songs. I loved that stuff. And then I also was a big fan of, um, and this probably comes from my parents, you know, acting background stuff. So there was also a lot of musicals, uh, musical soundtracks. Um, you know, Greece was huge. I mean, I learned like the whole, uh, we had like a gatefold record of, of <laughs> the Greece soundtrack. I remember, um, and sitting there and learning every song. So I loved the, that sort of more, uh, I don't know, uh, outward stuff as well. Hokey. Um, <laughs> hokey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I used to, you know, I remember standing behind the, the, uh, the vacuum clean, right. Which was like at the time, the perfect height for a, like a microphone stand, um, and singing the, the grease record pretty much front to back. 
<laughs> was was the vacuum on? No, no. <laughs> and my sister, my older sister, would have you know friends over, and she would make me like put on shows and sing sing Greece songs. And there was other there were other songs from musicals or plays that that my parents would would play on vinyl a lot as well. Um, not even plays that I necessarily know now. Um, but yeah, um, like sending the clowns. I remember it was a huge song in our house. And I, again, a terribly sad song, but it's one of those songs that still to this day, if I hear it, it just kind of takes you, takes you back to that, that initial spark or whatever it is that makes you gravitate towards certain music over others. And what about, do you remember the first time you did sing? I was probably five or six and I remember, I mean, I, I couldn't sing. Like I wasn't a, you know, I wasn't a kid that could sing by any means. Um, I mean, I sang, but I wasn't like, Oh, you know, yeah. I wasn't the kind of kid where other parents would go, Hey, your son should really be, <laughs> should really be a singer. But I was, yeah, I think, I, I think I was just really drawn to stories. My dad, you know, was a, always a storyteller and always before bed, you know, um, he would make up songs or he would tell stories um, that he would make up just out of the blue um, that I could remember seeing all the imagery, right? Just like swimming around in my brain as you're laying there going to bed. And I think I was just drawn to storytelling and the, you know, songs that, that told a story and conveyed, you know, uh, uh, emotion. I think I was just, always very drawn to that's awesome like to be able to your dad to be able to make up stuff on the fly and uh you're right you're i I, it was funny you sang the the moment of having those things in your brain you sometimes i think today you you aren't allowed to do that (laughs) it's right you don't you don't you can't even stop that's right yeah my, my dad was really is not was he still is um even at in his, in his late seventies, he, he he was always very imaginative and would come up with all kinds of ideas and stories and um, and just yeah, the imagery was really just. I, I just remember you know, so many of my memories are um, driven by these images that he would you know from these stories that he would tell and. Um, goofy songs he would sing, um, even though he couldn't really sing. Um, so I think I had that kind of side of like, oh, I was really drawn to to the storytelling of music and its ability to convey that sort of deep reaching. But I also loved like me and my two brothers would share a room and we would you know listen to Top Forty radio and they would do the Top Ten countdown every night and we'd lay there you know before bed as probably most kids did. And I remember as I got to be probably, you know, 11, 12, 13, starting to make, starting to recognize like structures of songs. Like, you know, why do all songs have these certain elements in common? Right. Or, um, I would start to, I think, wonder, (laughs) I remember kind of wondering why, why are certain melodies, why do certain melodies just, grab you and you know not let go and others are just entirely forgettable and 
So I don't know. I think I was just fascinated by um, my own fascination of it. Like the fact that there's somebody out there across the country, across the world that can write something. And then you're sitting in your bedroom as a prepubescent kid. And all of a sudden you're taken somewhere entirely different. And um, I think I wasn't conscious of it at the time, but I think I started to understand that that was something I was interested in doing. That's amazing. I mean, it's when you start talking about all the, you talk about the John Denver, Kath Stevens, Dylan, but then also pop and the musical soundtracks. I'm, I'm already and the, the, cause musical, you know, you're telling a story while you're doing it, but you want the hooks. I can hear the music that you've made and you can kind of pick out like things like a lot of times I wasn't big into lyrics and I just, I don't know. I was more listening right. to the guitar, but for some reason for your records, for split lip at Chamberlain, I listened a little bit more and there was actually imagery, uh, you know, stars in the, you know, in the streetlight. Like yeah. there's so much yeah. in that, that I can just, you, it's, it, 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 it was there at nine. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I guess I've never really thought of it in that context until we're sitting here talking about it. But yeah, I mean, I think too, in our evolution as a band, you know, much later, obviously is, as we kind of moved beyond being, you know, a punk band and um, started to incorporate more melody and incorporate more, um, you know, nuanced lyrics. And um, I always, I, I was always unset, not always, but I, I got to a point where I was unsettled with writing music or playing music, singing music that, had a select appeal, right? And I think punk rock for me was that. Like it was a great place to start for me as a kid because I, you know, it's accessible and you can do it whether you're good at it or not, as long as you have conviction and something to say. And um, but I always wanted to be able to get to a place eventually where I could write songs that, you know my brothers and sisters would listen to and get and not have to have a, you know, the secret handshake or not have to have me put it in context. Like, well, this is a punk rock song. This is what punk rock songs do, but something that was more, you know, universally, um, relatable, I guess. Um, and you do that a lot for a lot of people through making things more melodic. Right. So, um, so yeah, I always I think was drawn to trying to balance those two things and find the find the melodies that will carry the meaning. But also um, that that early time where you are trying to meet friends and I, I mean I gravitated to the punk rock kids because it was it was a little bit off the beaten path from pop. Yeah. And I've got along with them better. I think for, for you, I, I mean, you've mentioned in other interviews, you know, being huge into discord, seven seconds, soul side. Yeah. How did you find out about those records? Was it friends at school? Was it, was it the local record shop? How did you, how did you, cause it's, it's back then it wasn't just like us rolling up on the internet and checking out what's, what's punk rock. I mean, it took a, it took work. Yeah, no, you know, it's funny. I was just talking to my oldest son. He's 16 now about that kind of that exact thing. You know, I was trying to explain to him how 
the lack of accessibility just to other people, let alone, you know, information and, you know, that it was literally like the best way I could equate it was like finding life on other planets. Like when you would go to other towns or, (laughs) and you'd meet these people that, Oh my God, there's other people, you know, in other cities and in other towns that are into this kind of music and that speak the same language. And I thought I was, I thought me and my friends were maybe some of the only ones. And so it added that, I think there was an enchantment to it just because it was discovery, right? It was just like um, tapes, changing hands, um, you know, uh, word of mouth stuff. But I, I think probably if I had to credit one thing with with my um, finding that kind of music, it was probably it was probably skateboarding. Because <laughs> once I started skateboarding, um, you know, you'd watch skate videos that had punk rock songs in it or you'd meet other kids that were into um certain bands and um so yeah but i was always i was almost always drawn to the more melodic stuff like seven seconds for me was my seminal like they were my uh sort of bob dylan of the of the punk side of my uh leanings you know what i mean to me they were like they just exploded my idea of what what punk rock music could be um and i i loved how melodic they were but how how much meaning their songs pushed through as well i think the skateboarding thing is absolutely hilarious because 90 percent of the people that have been on say that and I think yeah. the skate videos, if those booker, if the people that put those together realized the impact of what those would do, I mean, they're almost like the fancy people at Spotify now that pick your song and put them in a playlist. Yeah, you think that's right. That's right. Like, but they had yeah. no idea. And I just think that's a, what a, and again, that back to that, I loved that moment where you talked about that, like lost planet, like someone handing you that VHS, if it's Thrasher or whatever it was and vision and you just pick it up and it's you're holding it and it's got these words on it but you don't know and then it's this unknown when you put it in and you're watching something you're already doing you're like stoked on and then you're hearing it it's like it's like almost like they put a love on top of a love (laughs) that's exactly right yeah and it's almost like your identity being played back to you you're like okay i've i've the things that you identify with and you, again, uh, often when you're young, you don't even know how to articulate that or understand why. Um, you yeah, know, yeah, you're just stoked. Uh, I, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> this is it. This is my idea. Um, and then it just became about ordering records and, you know, that, those were the best days and going to the mailbox and getting seven inch records. And some of them were freaking duds and you're like, Oh shit, that band sucks. And the, a lot of them were just amazing. And if it was on colored vinyl, it was even more amazing of a day. Um, and, you know, you'd get notes from the band members sometimes when they'd send them to you. Um, so it was just this organic, you know, hand to mouth kind of music scene that almost felt like a secret language, you know, and coming from a family of five and my older brothers that were into, you know, um, different kinds of music. It was like, Oh, this is my identity. They have theirs. This is mine. They don't get it. Um, the kids at school didn't get it. 
which only made it kind of more appealing to right um <laughs> and so uh yeah and then you know being able meeting adam early on correct that was yeah and that was that that wasn't your first band right it, there were you had stuff before well it was pretty much my first i was i <laughs> i had um some friends in school I, I did a like a little punk rock thing with this one guy at school like the one other punk rock kid at my school um in in middle school or high school this would have been in uh middle school baller and at zionsville indiana which is a small little conservative town um so and then i had like a a, a quasi funk (laughs) band with some guys um but no i mean really split lit was the very first real you know band that i that i really threw myself into um and i had gone to see them play they played a little um clubhouse show uh at a neighboring town and uh again it was like oh these these kids are cool because they're they're playing punk rock music and my whole group of friends went to see them and several other bands and so we started hanging out with them and dating and you know and then I think it was New Year's of 1990, so 89 to 90. Um, we were all hanging out at Curtis's house, um, his mom's house, and in like this moment of certainty and bravado, I was like, I need to be your guys' singer. Um, and then I just kind of forced my way into the situation really i think they had written a, they had written a song that they had a tape of so it was just the music and their singer was like not with us he was off with some other friends or something and they were playing the song in curtis's tape deck and i was like wow i got this so i just sat and wrote the words and sang it to him <laughs> and then it was pretty much like you guys need to let me be your lead singer. And I think it was the next day or maybe a couple of days later, they, they kicked him out. Wow. I love that. Yeah. I strong arm my, my way in. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the other thing I thought was interesting and we'd more talk about this a little bit later, but I think it's worth bringing up is, you know, you've been writing with Adam and with you know working on music together on your music on you know his music for a really long time and i think that's a special thing to find somebody like that um in music and whatever it leads to if it's a band or if it's just hanging out you can make music with somebody why what was the what was the connection and did you feel that early on yeah you know it's funny i remember um i actually saw adam play before he was even in, before he was in Split Lip, he had a, 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 a band before that, a three-piece. I mean, he was 13. The freaking kid was 13 years old. And still, and shredding um, from then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like, he had something. Like, I, I remember um, seeing him for the first time on stage, and he just looked like a deer in headlights, but he was like, all in. Like, he was just playing, like, you know, like, he was so confident. Um and he's a teeny little, you know, 
goofy looking. He looked like a baby. I was like, this is crazy. Um, but I think what developed with Adam and I was, and it's still the case that, you know, we couldn't be more different probably as individuals, but, um, he, uh, he approached music and always has approached um, music the way that I developed to approach lyrics. And so I think we had a commonality in terms of, you know, Adam never wrote songs to write songs, right? Adam never was a kid who like, I can write a song, so I'm going to sit down and write a song. Like Adam treats songwriting like he's got something to prove, right? There's, it's, it's, and it's always been that way. That's why we've written slow our whole lives, right? We've never been a prolific band because, and probably to our detriment at times, because things were very precious to us all the time. Um, like we, <laughs> I don't know how best to explain it. We, we believed that there was a lot writing on every song and he approached that he approached songs that way musically. I always approach songs that way, uh, lyrically. And I think that's why it worked when it was good. It was really good when it broke down, <laughs> it could break down pretty bad because again, we took it very, very serious and still and it's getting better at middle age. Now <laughs> we're realizing it's, not quite so precious, but, but yeah, I think that's why it's always worked. And, and, and being able to, I guess, have that push pull and being different helps maybe in the creativity. Um, and there's more of like an energy. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a, there's a thing about his music that I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird. Cause you know, if you put aside the songs that I've written myself with Adam and that he's helped just, you know, accompany me on, you know, the bulk of the stuff we've worked on together, he writes the music and I write the lyrics, but, and this has been the case since we started, you know, as teenagers, I can put in, you know, I can listen to the music that Adam writes and nine times out of 10, there is a, there is a, sort of thematic feel or vibe or thing that rises to the surface pretty quickly. So the, the meaning of the song or the, what I'm going to write about, or very rarely have I had to sit around and ponder that stuff because it, it, it I don't know, it's a, it's a, it's a interesting thing. And I've worked with other writers and it's never really worked this way. Like it has with Adam but I can listen to his songs, even if they're scraps or ideas. And this fingerprint kind of rises to the surface of, Oh, this is what this song needs to be about. Or this is the sort of meaning that this song is meant to carry across. So that makes a really good collaboration, right? Because, um, he does a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to what you're trying to emote or, you know, get across. Was everybody cool when you said, I'm going to be like in your family about, Hey, I'm going to do this band. You know, I think it was again, being fourth of five. I don't think anybody really even perked up their ears or took it all that serious. I mean, my parents let, you know, all of our parents let us go on tour at a really early age. Um, I think it wasn't until 
a little bit later in the career of the band that that my siblings and my family started to really go, oh, this is this isn't just you know adolescent fun. This is something that actually um, is good and and could be good. You know, could only get better. Uh, I mean, my brothers and family were always really supportive and would come to shows and that sort of thing. But I think it was more of a pat on the head, like, hey, kid, I'm glad you're having fun and doing, you know, fun stuff with your buddies. But until the songs got to to be a little bit more structured and, and what you would consider, I guess, generally more palatable for people that aren't reared or don't have the context of the sort of the punk rock world. Um, I don't think it was till then that they really started to take it serious. But as far as support and encouragement, um, yeah, everybody in my family has always been been exceptionally supportive. That's Parents, awesome. Most of all, yeah, yeah. As a band, and I think when I mean it's funny. There was one of these early um, f- flyers when I was going to shows. You guys played with Shift in Vermont. And I remember going to the show and the flyer literally said, uh, you know, they've changed their name. They're no longer tough guys. And I think <laughs> I'll have to, I'll yeah. have to send you a photo of the flyer. It's, it's really, really funny. I've, I can't believe I still have it from whatever year it was, 90, whatever, 96, 97, whatever it was, uh, or wait, no earlier. It was probably early nice. Again, uh, it's all ninety five, ninety six. Probably yeah. ninety five, ninety six. Everything's a blur. Uh, the, you know, you guys. I think were. I, what I'm trying to put say is, I think you're ahead of where I think you wanted to go, and I think if you had done that in a later era, it would have been accepted more. And I think the timing of the band was just so interesting, where you know, you wanted to move away from the scene. And at that time it was harder to sort of move away because of maybe the internet wasn't as, you know, things weren't moving as fast. And I think you wanted to change into this, but to get out of that punk rock and be more in the different parts of the music scene, it was, it was, it was hard because you would just get booked with another hardcore band. Like it, it was, it was harder to jump. No, absolutely. It, it was it was hard, and if you think about it back then, if you weren't if you didn't have a record out, and you weren't touring. Um, it's not like you could slowly post things to show your progress toward a certain you know if you're headed toward a different horizon. I mean, we went from Faith Got a Driver, and then we went quiet for a couple of years, and then the Move My Saddle comes out, and yeah, we toured on those songs for Move My Saddle to not very good reception. Um, but, you know, in hindsight, I can certainly look at that and go, well, yeah, it's, it's a totally different band between those two records. Um, but I don't know. And I think that some of that has to do with us growing up and playing in the Midwest and being pretty isolated. And, you know, we were just writing. It just it just became that those kinds of songs. And I think you can hear some of the roots of it and the beginnings of it. And Faith's Got a Driver. But, um, you know, I certainly don't remember any, like, any discussions or thoughts around, oh, this is really going to, people are really going to have a problem with this, or we just kind of kept writing. And then, um, yeah, once the Moon My Saddle came out, uh, initially, at least, it certainly didn't get uh, an overwhelmingly warm reception. 
And what's interesting so now is that like that's what's sort of wanted. Like it's almost like we're inundated with so much things that we want the band that we're used to to do something different. If that makes sense. Right. I mean, it, it certainly heightened in the punk rock world, especially back then. Right? It just wasn't good. We were expected to kind of stay in your lane. Um, you know, seven seconds we talked about earlier. I mean, they wrote songs about that, right? About people just hating the fact that they slowed their songs down and that they were singing more and screaming less and um, had a message they wanted to convey that may not be a political one or a, you know. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's never easy in that, in that isolated of a music scene to, to play with the, um, to fiddle around with the formula, right? Yeah. Um, but I was also, you know, we were in college, we were, I was listening to more and more singer songwriter stuff. I was, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't even realize I was watching a video not too long ago of us recording Fate's Got a Driver and I'm sitting in the, the room off of the, the, uh, the control room and I'm playing an acoustic guitar and I'm, you know, playing and singing Bob Dylan songs. And I guess I just hadn't realized in my head what was happening concurrently while we're making Fake Scout Driver. I think all of our musical influences were already kind of expanding and, and getting beyond certainly the punk scene. Uh, but it would be several years before that stuff would start to show up in the, in our own songs. And I feel like, I mean, definitely the, the word email probably invokes you know, anger or sort of like, uh, and now it's a whole other context to it. But in that, even back then it was, it was, you know, there was a little bit of a stank on it. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was, you know, I still, I always thought of, I mean, I remember that term most or the, the earliest. Um, I remember that, designation was in relationship to like DC bands like Rights of Spring or um, even Soulside. And so, yeah, I don't know. It kind of, I think, expanded from there. It's funny now my kids just use the term all the time. Like, you know, they'll be talking about some kid at school. Like, oh, who's that? Oh, he's some emo kid. I'm like, <laughs> it's just surreal. At You're like, point, uh, like, hey, kids, uh, sit down for a second. Dad's <laughs> yeah. going to tell you a story. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that's that. I think, and I wanted to bring up the one of your solo records because I thought it was an interesting time. You know, you know, in two thousand nine for my lover, my stranger, which yeah. was a fucked up time. If if you were even at all associated with it, because at and any kid was. If you said emo, they were going to think eyeliner, you know, the hair. Um, I'm sure that's yeah. what your kids think. I mean, it permeated right. mass culture forever. And so anyone at all connected to it, even if you wrote the word because you just had to in a bio, they're instantly thinking tight pants, white belt. And I think a lot of <laughs> bands that used that word that weren't, but maybe were trying to progress were not written about they were cast aside and it wasn't yeah. it wasn't respected and that's the part that always killed me it's like it wasn't it wasn't respected like indie rock when 
and if it was a hook, it was almost uh, laughed at. And I, I, right. I guess you were you were trying to make some pop songs, and yeah, oh no doubt, and yeah, no doubt. I, I just I I was so fascinated. I was like, why isn't this connecting? Why isn't anybody paying attention? Um, yeah. <laughs> And I'm sure you were saying the same things, but I guess I was kind of rambling, but it's just that was such an interesting time to try and break free, but it's like you were still somehow pulled back. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, you know, <clears throat> I am, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's weird. And again, I don't know if it has to do with making music in the middle of the country and making music in Indiana, but there's this real insulated kind of thing that happens. Right. I mean, when I made the solo record, I, 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 I maybe a ton of bands do this. Maybe most bands do this or, or artists, but I, I just, there was no thought or, or context around it. I wasn't thinking about reception or about what even, kind of record it was it was song by song you know word by word and then before you know it you're at the end of the process listening to playback um and there's always things you would do different there's always things you you know go back and change i think there's a lot about that record that i love there's a lot about that record that certainly i would i would change but uh, i don't know for me it's always just been about getting the shit out like out out from the inside. <laughs> and then after the fact, usually years later, it's like the judgment is, is that a good song or is that not a good song? But at the time it's more just, I've got stuff that has to come out. I'm healthier when it comes out and doesn't sit, you know, stirring around inside. And then songs always seemed like the best carrier for that stuff. Um, and so that's kind of what that record was. There was just a lot of, time between when I, you know, by the time I started working on that record, I hadn't been in music for years. I hadn't been doing anything. And so there was a lot of stuff built up. Um, oh, I could probably give several reasons. I mean, when Chamberlain broke up, I, you know, sort of stupidly, but probably in my naive mind at the time, romantically um just was like that's it i'm done I sold everything um i was angry at the world I was, you know the whole you know not to over dramatize it but i think that's really where i was at i was like none of this went anywhere um you know we had been getting a lot of talk and conversations with uh major labels at the time we had been courted by several labels and that was a lot of major labels and nobody would pull the trigger on anything. And we heard a lot of the same feedback over and over again. And I think it was just, okay, that's it. And I thought I was just kind of giving up on the music thing for a while, but I think in a lot of ways I kind of gave up on just the idea of, um, following something that you love to do and just threw that all in a corner and was like, I'm not coming back to it. So by the time I started to consider doing more writing and doing, you know, writing the songs that became, um, my love and my stranger. Yeah. There was just a lot there to, to exercise and get out. 
what were you doing else in the meantime? Did you did you have a family at the time? Were you still single? Like, what was the was it like a yeah? I, so between the time when Chamberlain broke up in two thousand after yeah, Chamberlain broke up in two thousand. Um, I was married in ninety nine. Chamberlain broke up in two thousand. My first son was born in two thousand and two. So, um, you know, once my once we were um, expecting, uh, yeah, I just put it all away. I was like that's it. When I gotta go get a you know a real job, and um, I'm not gonna be one of those people that talks about you know the glory days when <laughs> I used to be in a band and tour around and write songs. Um, like I literally shut it off. Really? Um, which, oh yeah, totally shut it off. Which is not a good thing for somebody who's you know, creatively inclined for anybody. Were you still talking to Adam? Were you still talking to the band? No, we didn't talk for a long time. Long time. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was pretty much, it was pretty much done. Um, And, and then working, like, was it like a, was it, you know, did you try to, was it a new career? Was it just a thing to get by? Like, what was some of the, when, when you were yeah, well, I bounced around a little bit, um, but then found a job uh, at a corp in a corporate environment that actually I'm still at today. So, oh, amazing! Um, Sixteen years later, but yeah, I, I um, yeah, I just did an about face. Like that's, that's it. I'm gonna go a different route. I'm gonna raise a family. I'm gonna forget about all that. Um, and really, I, you know, and I thought a lot about it, and I think a lot of that was probably informed by the story I told you at the beginning of my father and, and you know, the last-ditch effort to go try and be an actor. And then there was always kind of this narrative in our family that, <clears throat> or at least the narrative that I absorbed, I'm not saying I was told this, or, but the narrative that I seemed to absorb was that that kind of stuff eventually runs its course, right? You go chasing things that are, ethereal like that, right? Being an actor or songwriter or a poet or an artist, um, those things have a a shelf life and then you get on with life. Then you get, you know, you get to a point where it's time to move on. And I think, I I think, I I think that narrative probably informed some of my decisions at the time because the older I've gotten, the more I've realized, like, it's ridiculous. It absolutely doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, there's plenty of room, you know, in a life to be, um, any number of things, right. That you want to be. Um, so it's brought some good balance back to, to my life for sure. I I still love that your dad did that. And I think that, that, I think that, I think that entered you, Yes, you you knew that he did it, and you were aware of it. But I think that somehow, it's like it's you just go, and maybe that was you get in the van. Maybe that was, um, maybe that I think there's that small piece. And I know I'm not I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but just hearing you speak, like it just seems that your mom was cool with it. He knew he was going to come back. It's okay. But if he didn't do it, I don't. Maybe maybe you wouldn't have jumped out in that band. Yeah. 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 I probably wouldn't. Yeah. I, I think there's probably a good chance that that's true. Um, 
but I think there's also this sort of, you know, not to get too deep into it, but I spent a lot of time thinking about it. I think there was also this kind of subplot in my family of the arts versus real world. And I think that was the hard thing for me to bridge the gap in of thinking, no, you can, this is who you are. Like, this is who you are. It's the fabric from which you're cut. You can go try to do other stuff and you can try to put that, you know, those clothes on and make those clothes fit. But if this is what you're called to do, there's no shutting off that valve, right? Without the pressure building up and building up and then it's going to explode somewhere. It's going to come, it's going to come out in one way or another, um, which is a good lesson for me to learn, right? I'm a father of three kids and that's certainly the message that I try to impart on them is that if you know, if you know what you're called to do, um, you know, don't be a martyr Just go do it because, um, you're going to be a healthier person. You're going to be a happier person. You might not be a wealthier person, but, um, the experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I'll lighten it up. Even though you did apologize for going deep, that's why this is a podcast. You can actually do that. There's no like time limit, but (laughs) Uh, I was, this is, this is a personal story and it's funny. And it's one of my, one of my memories of you is in 2000, my girlfriend at the time had booked, was obsessed with your band, Megan. Remember Megan? Um, oh yeah. Yes. And so she was obsessed. I was at school in Elon. I was a senior. She was a freshman. I know, I know I dated a freshman relax. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but we, uh, she booked you guys. She, I don't know how, again, this is like, I think it was an email or, but she was like, Hey, I booked Chamberlain these like three shows, you know, would you open? I think we opened one of them or two of them. My, the band that I was in, we were obviously horrible. There's no need to even mention the name. No one's going to hear it. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> what was cool is, I mean, you actually guys did it. And I think those were some of your last shows. They uh, were, they were. And I remember videotaping a couple and I remember actually there's some stuff I have. I was actually going to send it to Adam of one of the shows at the Duke coffee house. But the funniest one is she lived in a dorm. So she didn't like have a place for you guys to go. And I had an apartment. It was a two bedroom. Like, and I remember telling my, yeah. my, my other roommate who was a little squ- no, it was three of us. It was my, my, my best friend, Mike and my other uh, roommate, Sean, who was a little more square than us. I was like, Hey, there's a band coming. <laughs> he was like, he was like, all right, cool. And they had a, he had a dog. This like, um, I think it's like, it looked like it's, it was like a long haired wiener dog, whatever those are called. Um, yeah, yeah. and I remember two, two random things. One, I didn't have enough towels and Adam told me that he drip dried and I didn't know what that meant. But now whenever there's, <laughs> whenever there isn't a towel in my bathroom, this has happened since that year. Every time there isn't a towel in my bathroom, I'm like, I mean, Adam drip dried. I say that every time. <laughs> and then the second story is I come out in the living room and I mean, I don't think we had really talked or something. You were more, I think, definitely silent than I was talking to Adam more. But I wake up and I walk on the back and you're, in the, you're on the couch and you have the dog and it's just chilling on your stomach. And you're petting it and you look so relaxed. And I was like, 
I think this is what being in a band's like. Do you remember that at all? Uh, yes, I do. That's crazy. I absolutely do. Yeah, I mean those shows too. I mean, I think because the though um I mean, I think I even mentioned those shows in the liner notes of a record, one of our I think one of the posthumous releases that came out. Um but yeah, I remember that that as sort of the last sort of bright points of, uh, but yeah, they were some of our last shows, but you guys were all great to hang out with. And it was, it was good. And, and those songs itself, which I know you guys are doing the, you know, 20 years of that record, but what does it feel like to maybe there's other people that punish you for five minutes and tell you a story about how you stayed at their house. Like, is it, is it, are are you hearing more of those? I mean, having, you know, doing stuff with Gaslight Anthem or having other bands, people talk about it. Did you, is it, does it feel like a little bit of redemption? Like it was a little bit ahead? Um, I think there is some of that. Yes. I think there's some of that in, here's a good example of it. So, not to dog on any publications, but when the Moon My Saddle came out, I always love to tell a story because it just kind of represents, I think, what you're talking about. When the Moon My Saddle came out, Alternative Press reviewed it. So, of course, everybody knew us as, you know, the Fate Scout Driver Band. Moon My Saddle comes out. I get it. In hindsight, I get it. But the review was just scathingly just destroyed the record. Destroyed it. Um, to this day, I've never forgotten the review, the, the, the a part of the review that said, <laughs> I still can't even say it without laughing. It said, David Moore on this record makes Huey Lewis sound like the king of the Delta Blues. <laughs> wow. Which I've never forgotten. Like whoever wrote it, like good on you. I, I've never forgotten the review because I was like, dude, that fucking hurts bad. Um, and then 10 years later, no, yeah, the 10 year anniversary of that record, alternative press wanted to do this big story on it because, and they had other bands talk about what an influence the album was on them and their songs. And, and so the guy called me to interview me about it. And hello, this is Huey Lewis. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I should have done. But he was some, you know, young kid, obviously younger kid and I, you know, probably wasn't around, uh, working for the publication at the time, but he starts asking me questions about it and, you know, it's such a pivotal record and people cite it as a, you know, and I said, I have to stop you, man. I just have to tell you this story about what your magazine <laughs> said about this record when it came out. So I at least had to like tell him, yeah. um, because it was a little ironic. Yeah. That all of a sudden it was, you know, so, you know, obviously, I don't, we reached in the microcosm of the music world. We reached a very small, small corner. But, yeah, I mean, I think there's a little bit of retribution in, this, in, the, in the sense that um, I think the album stands up over time. Um, I think you had people that loved us enough to get it right when it came out. And then you had a second group of less, you know, that weren't, quite the early adopters that grew to love it. And then you had people that were just like, this is awful. I'm not going to listen to it, which I get as well. Um, but yeah, so I think there's probably in all honesty, a little bit of that, like eh, it stands the test. 
it's the hardcore kids that just kind of said like, okay, whatever, I'm off to whatever other dumb hardcore band I'm into. But then there's the people that went with you. And I think for me, it's the one that I listen to the most out of anything. Um, yeah. Other than uh, Masterpiece, the song on off Exit 263. Uh, oh, yeah. Which I think yeah. is if I – that's one of my top – I think top five songs are yours. Yeah. Yeah, I like that song. I wish it had gotten a different treatment uh, as far as recording is concerned. But um, I think it's an interesting way to uh, – I, I don't know. It's a, an interesting thing to write about, right? Like, hey – I need you to be my, 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 it's a lot of pressure to put on another human being, but I need you to be my best thing because in case all this other shit doesn't work out. Yeah. Um, but yeah. If you gave that to another, like if it was Nashville and you gave, you know, masterpiece to somebody else, it would be a hit song. Not saying you guys weren't, but I'm saying like, you know how that happens? Like they write a song and then years later you give it, God, that sounded so shitty and condescending. I didn't mean it like that. It really didn't. It really didn't. Okay. okay. It didn't. Um, Sometimes I think Adam and I should have focused more on that, you know, than trying to do the songs ourselves. But, um, but no, I, I totally get it. Yeah. I remember having the, the, you know, it was one of those songs that you always, hope for where it just kind of comes spilling out right and you you're just kind of transcribing or it feels like you're just kind of transcribing something that's already that's already there but the bridge of the song is probably what i think of most when i think about writing the song because i um there's a line in there about um because you you and i talked earlier about this decision to i'm going to go raise a family and i'm going to get a house and i'm going to raise my children and, you know, me at the time believing those two things, right? Following, pursuing your dream and, and um, being able to still have a livelihood and raise a family, thinking those two things were mutually exclusive. Um, and I had this dream that was like, you know, if, if you have to choose between those two things, there's one of you can go down one path or you can go down one path or the other path. And if I have to choose between those two, I can only save one of those people. And I had the, the voice literally woke me up. I don't know if you've ever, ever had that experience where you have a dream and there's a voice that yes. it's, it's audible or seems audible and you flash awake and you're like, I just heard what sounded like somebody talking right in my ear. Um, and that's, that's where that bridge line came from. I'm, if I had to stand up and choose, I can only save one of you. Um, and it was this sort of, my interpretation of it at the time was you can't do both these things and remain whole. So you've got to make a, a choice. And, you know, it wasn't too long after that, that the choice was made to forego music and plow ahead on a whole other path. So, Wow. Um, another one that I really like, and I talked about it earlier about the lyrics, for some reason, yours put pictures in my head. And I, I, I think, I don't know. Is there, is there, the other song I was going to bring up is go down believing. Um, which I, is there anything that I think the, the chorus of that one again, to me is just has so much passion in it and, it's yeah. it's sad, but it's I don't know. It's not it's not it's, again. It's not sad, but it's sort of a um, 
uh, longing. Yes. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, we were just, when we were in L.A. recently, um, we were playing that song, and we, we didn't play it at our other reunion shows and things, I don't think. So it had been a long time since we had even started to play that song again. And um, so it's kind of one of those things where I'm kind of just reconnecting with the words and thinking about the words as I'm singing them and wondering what I was, you know, where I was at when I wrote it. And um, So, yeah, I think it's, it's a really um, naive song, I think, in some ways, or, or idealistic song in mm-hmm. some ways when I hear it now. But... Um, but it takes a stance, which I like, right? Like, I have to choose between being a cynic and being somebody who believes that there's actually some meaning to all of this. Um, I'm going to choose the, the latter of those two things. Um, so, which I think has always kind of been my my approach to my life. You know, who knows yeah. what is actually true after all this is said and done, but you might as well spend your time believing that there's, um, <laughs> you know, something magical at the end of it all. What's kept it together with everybody? I know you've been really close with Adam and you've had, is it the time away? Is it the long stretches of time where you're not doing things or not as prolific? Has that been able to keep everybody when the phone rings and says, Hey, you want to try this? Hey, this band wants us to come tour or, uh, What's what's been the thing that's kept it going? You know what? Strangely enough, after having you know coming fresh off of that time spent with everybody in LA after being apart again for a long period of time, um, it, all, it, it I think the thing that keeps it together or keeps us gravitating back towards one another even supersedes the music. I think it's I think when you share such a pivotal time of your life, right, which was adolescence into young adulthood. Um, and adulthood. Uh, so you're going through all your firsts with these people, right? Your first girlfriends, your first favorite bands, your first shows, your first attempted driving, or, you know, I really think it's as simple as that. I think there's this boyhood thing, um, this shared experience that we all kind of stumbled upon and it became really special without us even really having a, an awareness or an appreciation for it while it was happening. And now over time, as you know, you let go of a lot of stuff and hurts and, and, you know, infighting or any of that stuff that obviously is long gone from us now. I think it's just that, I think it's just that camaraderie that, Hey, there's nobody else besides there are very few people besides those guys that I journeyed through so many firsts with and the music, um, that comes as a result of us all being back together is, is almost like a, um, just a bonus. Right. Um, so yeah. And it's like muscle memory. And when we get in a room together and then everybody, it's, it's just, it's the same. It's exactly the same. And it's like, it's like home in a lot of ways um, because he spent so much time in those formative years together, I think. And what I think what's great too is 
when you've had those, if it's Exit 263 and you had some songs or there was a live thing or an EP or it's a new song or B-sides or there's photos or video, who in the, who in the band and was understanding that they were saving things in the moment? Because you said that earlier about you're kind of oblivious sometimes. You're kind of going through it. Then years later, when you, you think back, you're like, oh, man, I wish I had as a fan – Chamberlain's always kind of had a bunch of content saved and it seemed yeah. that you, who, who was that? And were, were that you aware of it? Curtis. It was Curtis. I think, I think Curtis predominantly, I would say. Um, were you aware of it in yeah. the moment? Um, like, Oh, we got to take a no. photo of this. We're at CB's or whatever. No, no, I, I certainly wasn't. I think I was too much of a, observer always have been. And I think I was too much of a kind of an observer to be that person or fill that role. So, or too introspective, right. Mm -hmm. Um, the Curtis was really good at that, right. Of, Of being conscious of capturing moments or, you know, uh, wanting to, um, and, and Chuck too, Chuck more in his, I mean, Chuck, we were laughing in LA. He has a, he remembers everything. All of us are hazy on details and stuff. And he remembers every show who was there. Um, but yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't me. And it wasn't Adam. Um, <laughs> you guys were focused on the lyrics and the music. Let the, uh, yeah, rhythm, let yeah, the rhythm we section probably, take a photo. We were probably too yeah, self-obsessed. For, <laughs> for that, well, I think it's amazing that you did that because it's reaping, rewards later for fans it's you have a live thing or you have a photo to share and then what does that do it has someone look at it and then feel that way oh i was at that show or i was in that moment and it's bringing people closer to you um and it's i think it's very you know it's rad that that stuff's you're able to stay together and make music and have more memories, but also have the past. And have you guys talked about that or? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there's always, I think we've talked about it in the context to varying degrees. We've talked about it in the context of, you know, I think if this was just about nostalgia, um, we're all self-aware enough to know that we wouldn't want to do it. And, there is, however small or, or whatever that niche is that, that we had, there is, I think, a, a group of people that, for whom that, the music goes beyond that, right? I mean, I get, I get letters from people about, you know, their wedding songs or about going to the military and listening to I mean, my saddle to get through that experience. Or, so I think if it weren't for that, we wouldn't be doing it. If it was for the sake of nostalgia and we were, you know, I'll admit that was some of my concerns. Like, hmm. and if we make another record, you know, I don't want it to be, you know, a recap, try to trying to recapture something that that passed or that got biased or, um, and I think that's the real gift and the real blessing of all this is that there are people that will come to these shows in September and it goes far beyond nostalgia. It's about, the songs that have continued to touch them and they're playing for their kids and, um, and that represent a really special time 
in their lives and that they've kept listening to, which, you know, whatever the outcome, I don't think you could ask for a better one than that, regardless of how many people it is, right? Yeah, it, it, that's exactly it. It's it, it. It I think that goes far beyond nostalgia. That that probably should have been the name of the site instead of washed up emo. I should have done that. Um, but it is. It is. It's a. It, 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 there's someone there that you're right. They're playing it for their kids, or they've had that song in their mix or their playlist. Um, and I think that's that's like a huge win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. My mom has kept all letters and emails and I mean I have binders of stuff that she has kept for me of people that have you know sent sent in actual letters or sent in emails and told stories about the songs and what they've done and wow and, you know for me for me that's the stuff that because um, again however slight however small that's that's a legacy right I mean that's something that my kids can look at and go oh wow this is you know this is pretty, pretty special. Um, so that's the stuff that I think brought us back out to do it and to commemorate this record um, because people really believed in it. And, and it's, it's not a relic for some of these folks, right? It's still in their lives today. And um, that's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Last thing I was going to ask you, is there, do you have any, uh, this could be anything. Do you have any sort of dreams or um, things that you think about when you're about to close your eyes and your dad, you know, would, would tell you those stories when you're, when you're in that moment, are there dreams or things that you think about? Well, you know, being a father nowadays, usually last thoughts on my mind before sleep has to do with, with my children um, and their dreams. Right. Um, and I think we kind of touched on this before, you know, the, the degree to which I can get my story out of their way, whatever good stuff that they can take from it to move them along and, and embolden them on their journey, wherever they decide to go, let them take that good stuff. And then otherwise kind of get out of the way and make sure that my life narrative doesn't determine theirs, uh, if that makes sense. But usually those dreams and those thoughts are, uh, center around those, those three little spirits that, um, you know, as a father, you just want the best for. And, um, they'll still let me sing to them at night sometimes getting to the end of that, uh, <laughs> window of opportunity. But, um, that's always a good a good way to to end the day. Do you sing to your kids at night? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, my daughter is the is really the only captive audience that's still there. Um, so she's she'll be twelve next month. So she's you know she'll be on her way soon. But um, but yeah, I mean they certainly grew up. You know, despite even the you know the years where I was away from it. Um, that was something that always happened at, at night and, um, you know, hopefully they'll do that for, for theirs as well. I think I just, I love that you were sort of, you're conscious of that, 
you know, going away um, and not being there. And now you're there and that's, that's the, that's it. But you're still getting to, you're right. You're still doing your thing. You're still away doing those shows for a few days or working, going to LA and figuring out, but that's not going to take away from what they want to do. Correct. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, now that they're getting to be older and ask questions and, you know, look on the internet and see videos or see old shows or uh, hear the music and, um, you know, it's fun to put all that in context for them. And, you know, my daughter is young enough that she doesn't have a sense of, uh, she just, if she hears the dad's going on tour or dad's going into the studio, she just equates that with everybody else that's famous and, you know, <laughs> she just thinks that's what's, you know, I went to LA and she just assumed I was going to, I think she just assumed I was going to hang out with Katy Perry or something. I don't know. It's like, uh, so I'll, I'll, I will take that as long as I can get it. Hell that's, yeah. That's dad for you. Just <laughs> rubbing elbows with the elite. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, cool. Is there anything else you want to mention? No, man, it's been a, it's been a pleasure though. It really has. I appreciate it. Um, cool. Thank it's you. Been good, good talking to you. And I certainly appreciate your, your time and your attention. Was this, was this different than you expected or was it, it was actually, what did you think was going to happen? I, I think I thought I, I was, I was thinking that it would just be more of a standard interview. And I think I, I don't know. I went into places that I wasn't necessarily expecting to go and, um, it's interesting because it, it actually helped me, um, at a pretty interesting time, actually in my own life right now, it helped me kind of contextualize a lot of this stuff, which, um, I didn't, yeah, I didn't expect. <laughs> oh, wow. Good. No way. Yeah. Really? Holy shit. Like a therapy session. Wow. Thank you for I, that. I, oh, I feel like I owe you money. <laughs> Well, it's interesting. There was someone emailed me yesterday. I interviewed a band, and they said I've known them for five years, and I've never heard them speak that way before. And so I don't know if I don't know if I'm channeling something, or I just I, I I'm like I think I'm so. like curious. I'm like I think in yeah. it's like just your dad's ride like got me like I don't know. I was like holy yeah. shit, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I think, yeah, you're right, but that was really good. Cool. Really good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. time well spent, and I appreciate it. Fuck yeah, I hope this helps. I hope this sells some tickets, and um, I love love this album. Thanks for forever having a memory of petting that dog in that random (laughs) aspect. Absolutely. (laughs) In a thunderstorm In the rain Shook that screened-in porch We were supposed to meet our parents in Duluth We used the weather that day as an excuse We just laughed and talked slow While the gutters overflowed and our hearts did too
Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years, or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And for this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted Volume 1, so you can order both. Check out the DIY publishing at anthologyofemo.com. 